There's a lot of emphasis on self-help, and <clears throat> I'm all for it. But self-help doesn't mean alone. Self-help doesn't mean you in a book. Self-help doesn't mean you in a Zoom class. For those of you who know the history of 12-step, and for those of you who don't, um, AA was formed by Bill W. and one friend, and they helped each other. So there was an intimate colleague relationship of helping each other, and it was through being of service to someone else and teaching someone else and sharing your experience of strength and hope that the formula for 12-step programs was created, meaning that you worked with someone. So even in 12-step, for people who don't work with a sponsor or they don't use the phone, they don't have a, a traveling uh, fellow traveler, I think it's called nowadays, very often 12-step programs turn into fellowship, meaning it's kind of like church. It's a place where you can all go and share your beliefs and your experiences and pat each other on the back and hug each other and validate each other. And it's a great part of healing. Absolutely. I don't know what the resistance is in this day and age to um, apprenticing yourself to a mentor as opposed to working with a group there's a lot of attraction to working with this big anonymous group, whether it's 12-step or uh, some of the many self-help groups out there. And with the predominance of cults right now, I am really looking at the attraction people have to groups. I've been listening to some of Teal Swan's podcasts and... Much of what she teaches is very similar to what I teach. There are some big disagreements about things like money and prosperity and abundance, which is, you know, if you just think the right thing and you process all the right stuff, you'll, you'll be able to attract money. <clears throat> I do believe that we set this life up before we're ever born. And some of us came here to be poor in order to learn about poverty. And some of us came here to experience cruelty, and some of us came here to experience being cruel. And that's very Eastern. But what I was looking at is, these are, these are thousands and thousands of people watching her work. Same thing with Byron Katie. Watching the work or listening to the work one-on-one -on -one while they're in the audience. And yes, you learn a lot of theoretical material that way. And you might learn the language and you might say that's just like me, but the person they're working with isn't just like you. You're another person with your own details and your own specific combination of circumstances and experiences. Kind of like saying, well, Sagittarius are, and yes, you can generalize, but ultimately your chart is going to make you into someone very, very specific. Your astrology chart, your numerology chart, etc. 
not to mention the choices you've made to date regarding your circumstances, not to mention the influence of past lives. And with the pandemic, people are now pushed more and more into this anonymous connection with people. And there's a lot of safety in it. If you're in a group of a thousand people or even 40 people at a workshop, yes, you will learn a lot. But there's a second part to learning, which is application. So say you've learned about boundaries and you've learned about your attachment style. Where is it that you practice and who is it that you process that practicing with? Where is your personal sounding board? Where's your sponsor from 12-step meeting? One who listens to you specifically, not some generic interaction. Where is your counselor, therapist, teacher, or healer who can give you one-on-one -on -one feedback based specifically on you and as you get to know your one person over time, you get to understand where they're coming from. So you can filter some of what they say by understanding their own biases. And if they're a good helper person, they will disclose their own biases. <clears throat> they will say that they are um, pro-gay or anti-gay, or they will say they have had trauma or they haven't had trauma. So you know who is giving you feedback. And sometimes being a trauma survivor, working with a non-trauma survivor, but someone who's educated and trained, means that you have a very healthy person who might have perspectives and solutions that a trauma survivor will never have or will rarely have. So you don't always have to get help and study with a like-minded person. In fact, very often that is a nice ingredient for culthood. <laughs> Another thing with groups is that typically there are rules. There are things that settle into a culture and the word cult comes from the word culture. When you're working with an individual, there typically is a lot more diversity Unless, of course, yes, you have hooked up with a crazy narcissistic person, and that's possible anywhere. But when you're working one-on-one -on -one with somebody, they are in a flexible, growing, changing, adaptive relationship with you based on your progress and based on your interactions. Typically, groups have to, at some point, become efficient, and efficiency means rules. And rules are the beginning of cults. Not generic rules like don't come to class naked or no drugs and alcohol. I'm not talking about that. Typically with uh, groups also, you have an inner circle. And after a while, typically there are politics around that inner circle. And now this isn't about recovery and growth, it's about fitting into the group. So self-help 
you can learn a lot. But application, taking the generic information you've learned, like you generically learn astrology, but now you've got to start doing charts to really learn about the specifics. And that's why you have so many bad astrologers. They learn astrology, but how much practice have they had? How much have they interacted with other human beings? How much are they relying on software? In a group of a thousand people, in a group of 40 people, in a group of 20 people, how are you getting input of different perspectives, particularly when the group typically organizes around specific perspectives? 12-step programs don't make you talk about God or Jesus. They talk about a higher power, and the higher power can be a group, the group that you go to. There are very few groups that I know that give that amount of freedom. Typically, groups say you have to believe in our leader or believe in our belief systems, etc. Typically, also, when you're working with groups, you are not working with energy. The exceptions are some of the Eastern groups that might have a very powerful energetic leader. And when you meditate with them, lots of incredible transformative energy comes in. And one has to be careful, though, of what do you make of that energy? Do you use it to worship, to adore the leader? The energy goes out to everybody in the group. Everybody's going to be affected differently. So many times I talk to people and they'll describe energy to me. And they're so sure it's evil, the devil, something wrong with them, backsliding. And with a little work and revisiting the energy, they find out, oh no, that energy was just grounding me, so I stay in my body. Oh, that energy was coming up, not because there was a demon, but it was coming up to show me that I have a right to get angry when people behave badly around me. Without the help of a different perspective that's individually applied, you can make some serious um, misinterpretations that can allow you to, come on, Hoshi, stay in a group. Hello. Come on. It can allow you to stay in a group for another 10 or 15 years because you're so sure what feels like a heavy energy that turns out to be a grounding energy and protective energy was something bad and there's something wrong with you and only your trusted leader or the group or the rules will get you through it. The reality is anybody can be turned into a cult leader, along with the fact there are a lot of cult leaders these days. My own teacher, there were many people who became adoring students, and he shut that down. The spirit teacher shut that down immediately. And the human teacher dodged that bullet a lot. 
making a lot of mistakes along the way also. So after close to like 40 years, there is no inner circle. There's no structure. There's no advance, not advance. The word advanced is used to describe students who have been around a long time. That's all it means. You've been here a long time. And therefore, you'll be able usually to handle the higher or more intense energies without it tipping you over or triggering you. That's all it means. Very few organizations that I know after decades have been able to avoid becoming cultish. And in that group, I would say the majority of people have made small changes in their life, mostly internal ways to feel better about what they're doing. That's the majority. And then a small number really working hard to take chances in applying what they've been learning. And they make huge changes in their life. The application never came through working with my teacher. In other words, we never had enough access to him to see him one-on-one, once a week, and process what we were learning. He taught, and the expectation then was, you pick up the ball and run with it. Find other people to work with. This also prevents the formation of a cult. You do somatic body work. You see a therapist. You get hypnotherapy. You read books. You go to 12-step meetings. You um, go to school and get educated, etc. But that's always the minority population. The majority takes what they're given and makes it work for them and waits for the next session, continues to do their energy work, meaning that spirit is primarily their teacher, which is wonderful. But I always say, we can't just learn from spirit when you're in a human body. Even Teal, you listen to her, Teal Swan. She has obviously been educated. She worked with a therapist for a long time. She's obviously very, very well read. And she has an inner circle where they, whether functionally or dysfunctionally, (laughs) work on a lot of things together. It's almost like a little baby therapeutic community. I'm not endorsing her, but I'm also not ready to call her a cult, though there's a lot of red flags. But much of what she does and much of what she learned is very similar to things I teach and do with people. So, of course, I like her for that. Self-help is like, I'll give you an example. I started running when I was around 23, jogging. And at one point, my sister, who was a dancer, choreographer, professionally body movement specialist, watched me run and changed how I ran. And it changed my muscular development. At another point, I ran with a professional marathon runner. 
and the same thing. My running changed, always for the better. Now, even if I had hired someone to videotape me so I could see how I was running, how would I know what corrections to make or how would I know how else I could continue to expand and improve and get even better all by myself, even watching the video? I'm not an expert. I'm not a professional runner. So why wouldn't I want somebody to help me? Riding horses. I took riding lessons. And throughout the years, I would take checkup lessons to see if I had developed bad habits, which I usually had. And by learning through actual application specific to me, I got better. It also keeps you humble, teaches you to have human interactions by allowing yourself to be taught one-on-one by somebody. It will teach you also how you can teach others, be it your spouse, your partner, kids, grandkids, family member, co-workers, because a lot of people don't know how to educate others in order to make things better. They know how to fight or flee. (laughs) That's usually what happens. You know, we have that statement that, you know, everybody can be your teacher. Well, they can be. But can you be a learner? And can you be a good teacher? There's people I've learned from in spite of their inability to teach. I was willing to ignore dysfunctional behaviors or obnoxious behaviors or giant mistakes or lifestyle differences. Somebody who drinks or uh, they're racist or they're super conservative, which is not me. I can learn from them separating out the style of teaching that they're doing from my ability to learn. And that has only come with me practicing being a learner and not being a learner just from books or the internet or giant groups where I can sit and be invisible. It's so scary to me that post-COVID, during COVID, I refuse to do Zoom. Post-COVID, everybody is still staying staying on Zoom, so I am doing Zoom. And it's scaring me that society has been reshaped into, I'd rather meet you online. What is this doing to the human psyche? What is this doing to our ability to actually relate to other people? And one of the ways we know to prevent wars is getting to know the other side. When you get to actually know the other side, you can't stereotype them and you can't objectify them and kill them, at least not as easily. You hear story after story how somebody meets a Muslim family and suddenly realizes that Muslims are just people with different beliefs and there's a lot of great Muslims and a lot of crazy Muslims and there's a lot of great Christians and a lot of crazy Christians. But we only find that out through one-on-one interactions. If you heard a nice Christian or a nice Muslim speak at a rally, that's not going to change you as opposed to spending hours or days or a weekend. 
Self-help education is essential. If you're in therapy, no Hoshi, Hoshi, no. Come here, come here. No streak, Hoshi, come in. Good girl. If you are seeing a therapist, if you're in a group, definitely you wanna read. If you're in a group, you wanna read other things besides the group literature to make sure you're not being indoctrinated. And if your group doesn't let you read other things and other viewpoints, take that as a red flag. As much as I love New Age, when I started studying the critiques of the New Age and looking at all the New Age cults that are out there and all the yoga cults that are out there, where it used to be that you became a yoga teacher through tradition, you couldn't pay for a class and become a yoga teacher out of nowhere, or I just became a Reiki master online for $20. You couldn't do that in the past. So there's a lot of falsehood out there. So I always will suggest that you study the other side, study both sides. If you're seeing a therapist, study the psychology and then look at the anti-psychology viewpoints. If you're doing earth plane skills, look at the spiritual skills. If you're doing all the spiritual skills, like everybody has thoughts and prayers, but nobody will lift a finger to help you. Study the earth plane skills, balance it out with self-study in addition to human contact with at least one person. At first, the research used to point to that people got indoctrinated or radicalized either to the left or right through groups in person. But now we are finding people getting radicalized and indoctrinated into cult just by being in online groups. Self-help. No one else to balance out the viewpoint. If you're in the left, read the right. If you're in the right, read the left. Learn to talk to both sides. Learn to see both sides. Learn to figure out for yourself what's right on each side and what is not right for you. Look at the level of violence that is suggested or implied or encouraged. Look at the level of indoctrination. Start understanding what it's like to be asked to become a cult member, even if the cult is your family of origin where you have a strong parent, an authoritarian, punitive, scary parent who wants you to believe a certain way or you're out and you're a kid and you can't get out. You can become a cult leader to, uh, sorry, a cult participant in a yoga studio. You can become a cult participant in a meditation group. There are people who come to Life Path Healings who try to turn themselves into cult members. I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing everything you said. I'm following everything. I'm getting initiated. I'm doing what initiates need to do. And behind that was, I'm following the rules. I'm gonna get something right. I'm gonna be accepted. I will belong. My life will change, you know, there, there's these promises, right? Not that Life Path Healing gives any promises, but people make them up. It's very easy 
to get indoctrinated in these days. Why? We do not have an educational system that teaches critical thinking. We have a lack of parenting because in the old days, you could pump gas for a living, buy a house, buy a car, and have a stay-at-home parent. Now, you need both parents with multiple jobs raising children, ends barely making it, kids raised by untrained, uneducated workers who run childcare to make some money, who say they love children, but you don't know why they love children, might be for the wrong reasons. And then going to a school with groupthink and with no child left behind in California, we're looking at organizations that teach to the lowest level and any sign of conflict, the answer is pass the kid through. I know this because kids have told me this. This is not me jumping down the educational system because teachers, unfortunately, have been told to do this. So we are now seeing children not taught to do critical thinking, not taught to ask questions, not taught to investigate, not taught to ask questions and wait and see what the answer is that maybe the first answer they get isn't the right answer, maybe it's not the entire truth. We have overworked parents who mostly want to withdraw and collapse after work, not engage with their children, can't blame them, that's the economy. I'm not trying to blame anybody. It does mean for those who are conscious and awake to really weigh out your choices better. How many animals can you have that you can actually take care of them and interact with them? Should you actually have a child? I know you want one, but do you have the time and energy for it and the money? Because of our current culture also, it is extremely hard for people to accept any kind of feedback or questioning that's uncomfortable. It can be called triggering or shaming or victimizing. If I say to somebody, you're not really interested in personal growth, you're spending your money on clothes and furniture, and then saying you don't have money for working on yourself with anybody who you might want to work with. Oh, that person will go crazy. You're shaming me. You're No, get away. You're shaming me. You're making me wrong and bad. I'm doing the best I can. Well, I might say, I want to see a list of where you've spent your money the last two months. Typically, I never see that list. Or they do the list and I never hear from them again because they're so embarrassed to have someone point out to them some crappy behavior they're doing and how much they're lying to themselves. And the point, come on, come, come. The point of that is not to victimize anybody. The point is who else besides someone who either loves you dearly and in a detached way has no agenda with you or someone who loves you because they love humanity and they want to see people grow and evolve, who else is going to take the risk 
of bringing up really uncomfortable material. And it doesn't mean you have to change. It means you might need to accept who you are is, I prefer to look good rather than feel good. I am very brave and have very brave conversations when I really want something. I can ask for money or spend money on so many things, but I'm embarrassed about those choices. So I'm gonna hide them from myself and maybe from everybody. That may be the wake up call you get. Wake up to what? That's who you are right now. You don't really care about spirituality. You just wanna be cool or seem cool. You're not ready right now to um, be of service. You're not ready right now to read some books and start working on your boundary issues or sexuality issues, etc. At the end of a teal video, she was working with someone. And at the very end, and this was like, you know, an hour session. And just with one person, everybody watching. But we all need someone like Atil to do this for us. Is at the end, she said, really, you're just not ready for a relationship. And somehow the guy had in his mind, he should be. It was the next right step. It was the thing that would make him happy. He's supposed to do it. If he doesn't do it, there's something wrong with him. Well, the fact is he wasn't ready for a relationship. But it took an hour of process that she could say that to him without him bristling, without him lying to himself, without him counterattacking her because he felt that he was being attacked. So he got a tremendous amount out of that session. And here's the thing then, if you get certified by someone like Teal, you have a certification, just like I took a brilliant course on Reiki. It was fabulous. I was no better prepared to do Reiki than before I took the class because there's no one to work with to monitor my energy, monitor my application, give me honest feedback, not what I want to hear feedback, not um, pat you on the back feedback, but really I want you to be good. And here's what I'm getting so far, feedback. The other problem is somebody who gets certified in a weekend or reads a book and Teal is certifying people in her completion process, which worries me a great deal. That means you are able to complete the course. Just like I was a professor and I would tell students, the main thing you learn in school, if you don't make any effort, is how to get through school. How to smoke weed and cheat your way through all your papers. So now what you've learned is how to, how to work the system. What you didn't do is learn how to learn. And that was up to you. So you get certified in something and now you present yourself as certified to someone. Where's the application been? Where is a year or two of monitoring with psychologists who work as clinicians? They have to work under a supervisor for like 1,500 or 2,500 hours, which really still isn't even enough, but at least it teaches people how to seek out supervision. And if they have a great supervisor, 
they will seek out supervision from other sources when their official supervision ends. My sister was a therapist and she was brilliant. And after decades of working in childhood, early childhood education, therapy and learning management skills, and which she said, that's why we have a great company. We spend thousands of dollars every year hiring people to work with in person, one-on-one, -on -one, to make sure our management is fantastic. She had a supervisor forever. She wanted it, it was perfect. Pema Children had a teacher. When he died, she got another teacher. I have a teacher, I've always had teachers. When I was younger, I was a little bit snotty and said, you know, well, I'm just learning from this person for now. Okay, I still had a teacher <laughs> and stayed with them for years. And then life would move me on or they would die and I would get someone else. I don't know how you can do self-help with no application and watching a video and mimicking what you've seen when a similar situation comes up. One of the things you don't get is all the emotions that are gonna come up when you try new behaviors. How are you gonna deal with that? Who's gonna help you with that? Maybe there are emotions you never felt before. Just like the guy working with Teal Swan, he didn't know he wasn't ready for a relationship and she didn't tell him that. He saw it, by the end he saw it and then he was ready to accept what she also saw. People might be afraid of working one-on-one -on -one because they might be afraid of being controlled. Well, there's a pretty good checklist you can look at to see if there's any red flags. Plus, you can always have that discussion with the person. I feel like you're controlling me. I feel like I'm getting indoctrinated. If they can't have that discussion with you, leave. But you're certainly not protected by joining a group. More and more research has shown that indoctrination is happening because of groupthink, just on the internet. And some of it happens, uh, some of the former cult members who are describing how they got in, they watched like a video on something and then the algorithm showed them more suggested videos and those videos led to groups, authoritarian high control groups, cults. If you can't work with a teacher or counselor while you're doing your self-help, how on earth are you going to do conflict resolution and growth with a love interest or a child or a coworker or a boss? Your skill set will not be in place or you'll have to practice on them. Ouch! For them as well as you. Wouldn't you want to practice on someone who can withstand your mistakes? Who is there for you to screw up, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try again? That's what I want to do. I want to do something shitty with someone who is interested in my growth, not interested in winning my approval or adoration. Hoshi, come on, let's go. Come, come. Hoshi, come, come. Hoshi, come on. She's in the shade, it's so hot. Come on, come on, let's go, hop up. Hoshi, good girl. Stay, stay Pia, good. Stay.
Good girl, stay here, I know. It's too hot, we left too late, I know. All right, come, come. There is research out there, there's cheat sheets, there's help, but you gotta do the work. Google how to find an emotionally healthy therapist. Google, how do I know if I'm like What are the signs of a cult leader? Start learning these things. If you're afraid to pick someone, research. That's self-help too. Reading stuff that's going to be hard to understand, maybe challenge you, make you feel uncomfortable, and maybe scare you. Come on, guys. Also, if you're not really disciplined, okay, guys, take it easy. If you're not really disciplined, your self-help projects will be sporadic, meaning when you feel like it. Most people cannot learn on their own. They cannot set up deadlines. They haven't learned any self-discipline. They cannot set up a course of study for themselves. And that's one of the reasons people go to school is because they can't learn by themselves. Because nowadays, the information is out there. My dogs are drinking. <laughs> So the information is out there. In my day, it wasn't. You had to go to a library. The good libraries belong to a university. To use the university library, you had to belong to the university. Nowadays, we have Google Scholar. We have Google. We have so much information out there. But even when I work with people monthly, they have a week session, a weekly session, and they have homework. And typically, they don't do the homework, or they'll do it once during the week. Holding up my sunscreen here, and then they'll report back, "Well, it didn't work." And I'll say, "Well, where's your notes?" And they go, "What notes?" I said, "Well, what did you actually do? How long did you do it?" and what actually happened after the session and what happened a few days later, like where's your tracking, where's your documentation? And they look at me like I have just asked them to learn Arabic overnight. So for people who don't know how to learn on their own, their self-help will very often be sporadic, comfort-driven, um, and there will be no tracking of their learning. When I learned numerology and astrology, I just started doing charts for everybody I possibly could. People that I could talk to about it, even if they didn't believe in astrology it was okay, or numerology was okay. Asking people 
just in general to track where they're spending their money and their time so they can find out, no, they don't really want to work with a spiritual person. They'd rather go shopping. And they're not really afraid to have a hard conversation and ask their mate or their family for money. They can ask for money for a vacation, perhaps, but not to have sessions with someone that would help them. So tracking money, tracking behavior. Most people can't even do that. All this shame and embarrassment comes up. Like, wow, this is where I'm at. And it's not done to create shame. It's done to do what Pema Chodron says. Start where you are. Just like the man with teal swan said, yeah, I'm not ready for a relationship. Who knew? Now he knows. Now he'll just leave that alone. I've asked people just to track what's working. And typically, someone might do it for a day or two, and then they forget. Or they don't do it for like a couple of years. And when they finally start doing it, they're like, oh my God, what a difference. So this has a lot to do with learning how to become a learner instead of a cult leader, instead of a people pleaser, instead of a rule follower. Sometimes people will come back to me and say, well, it didn't work. Well, why didn't you get a hold of me? I would have given you something else to do. Oh, I thought I was just supposed to do it, and since I couldn't do it, I just didn't do it. Wow. With that attitude, how can you do self-help? Nowadays, most people follow feelings as their guide. Well, the only reason we want to feel our feelings is so we can find out where we're at. It's not supposed to guide our education and growth necessarily. So what I'll hear is, that didn't feel good. Yeah, looking at where you spend your money and your time, looking at how much you lie to people, looking at how much you leave your body, it's not fun and you're not going to feel good. You're going to feel like crap. Discovering the ugly parts of yourself is the huge part of recovery because we can't shift something we're not yet aware of. So becoming aware is typically painful and embarrassing and you lose status in your own eyes and now you're embarrassed to be around all these people that you have been shitty to for decades who probably don't even notice you being shitty because they're so used to you being shitty that they don't even know it's shitty. They just know that's you. That's what you do. But you feel awful because now you realize you've been using them, lying to them, treating them as a resource, hustling them for their attention and not offering to compensate people, taking from everyone, and then when they don't give to you, you trash them and cut connection with them. These are painful things to look at. So self-study, part of self-help, is impossible for lots of people, especially if they have not been raised in a family culture that encourages self-investigation and encourages difficult conversation and encourages the ability to stay present while problem-solving. So self-help to me means helping yourself to the resources available to you, which includes other people, includes groups sometimes, includes creating a structure or having an institution like a school create a structure for you.
self-help is not watching videos by yourself, learning the vocabulary, spouting the vocabulary, recognize some superficial traits in you that match what you just learned. It is far more complex than that. I used to think that having all this information accessible on Google was a blessing, but now sometimes I see it as a curse because people think they have learned something, but they haven't. All they've learned is language. They've learned concepts, but they have not been able to apply them. And that, to me, over time, has proven to be an issue because now people think they know whereas before they knew they didn't know and then they just say well I don't I don't know and I don't care I don't give a shit I'm killing flies hang on a second but now they say oh I know attachment disorder and boundaries and I'll have a session with someone and they'll spend most of the session telling me what they already know and I'm like great you already know that did you book a session with me to tell me everything you already know in theory and in language. It's not easy getting into a journey of being awakened. If it was, we'd have more people doing it. It's not easy to apply what you're learning. It's not easy to practice bravery and courage and vulnerability. It's not easy to be proud of yourself and feel okay by saying, I don't know. I have no clue. What can you teach me? There is a downside to coming across like that. I typically, in the muggle world especially, but anytime I'm around somebody that I feel has an agenda about being smart, I come off stupid and awkward. I, I don't mean to be awkward, but I get awkward by acting stupid. I don't know. What do you mean? Oh, okay. What does that mean? What about this? And a lot of times people will kind of treat me like I have a learning disability and I'm slow. But I learn. I don't care. I learn. And it also tells me something about them and their ego that they think they know so much. Whoa, look at what I know. Now, some of it may also be that I am trying to avoid conflict so by allowing the leader to be the almighty leader by me acting dumber or actually sometimes going dumb like just kind of a freeze response that might be part of what I do also and I've seen people do that around me they get dumb around me and it's a fear reaction and it's normal I understand that I will also say though I learn a lot more <laughs> Than meeting someone and trying to prove to them how much I already know. On a job, it's slightly different. Showing up as dumb to your boss is dangerous, typically. So finding more of a balance point between, I really know what I'm doing, aren't you glad you hired me, and what can you teach me is more appropriate. But out in the regular world, with mundanes or muggles, very often, uh, it's important for me to learn how much attachment the person has to being right and being seen as an authority figure. 
And eventually I can start acting smarter and smarter around them once I am in a good learning relationship with them. In other words, I know they'll keep teaching me and they won't be intimidated that I am now showing how much more brains I have than I appear to have in the first place. It's a coping mechanism that I find still works for me. I sometimes have to do it with people who come and see me. I'm a medium. God told me I'm supposed to be a numerologist. I'm from the ninth dimension. I can't argue with that, so I go dumb. Really? Wow, okay, yeah, that's amazing. I have literally had sessions where the person talked to me for one and a half to two hours, and I never said a word. And then they thanked me for the session. And I guess they just needed someone to talk to, a high-value target, because they weren't talking to the garbage man or their aunt with dementia. They had to talk to someone they thought was cool or important or knowledgeable. They never asked a question. I never said a word to them. And they would tell me how much better they felt and what a big help it was. Okay, that's where they're at right now. So when people come to see me to tell me how much they know, I have to respect that. When people come to see me and go to the opposite extreme, I know nothing. I need you. I can't tell. I don't know. Well, that's just as dysfunctional because that is refusing to do the work, refusing to take any chances, refusing to be vulnerable. So those folks, I'm going to ask them to step up. I'm going to ask them to ask me questions. If they can't ask me the question, then I'll tell them they're not ready to hear an answer. Oh, people don't like that. I understand it. But I'm trying to find some balance point in here with working with someone so it doesn't become old dysfunctional patterns or cult-like behavior or domination behavior. Some people try to turn a teacher into a dominant, overbearing figure, even when they don't want to be one. Some people, that's all they know how to do with people is be the victim or be the dominant person. So there's a lot to learn in application and in individual knowledge instead of generic knowledge. And yes, you can learn from every situation. And life will teach you. Whether you work with someone or not, life will teach you. One of the things I think about old age is that we have old age so that we have maybe a decade or more where the body slows down so much you can't do that much and all you can do is reflect. Of course, nowadays so many people are getting dementia and Alzheimer's. That theory of mine may be turning into nonsense. Learn how to become a learner. To me, that is the biggest skill we can have in life because life is ever-changing, especially nowadays. It's moving so fast. Learning how to be a learner isn't just theoretical. It takes a lot of practice. Now you can start to learn from anybody. You can learn from anybody what not to do as well as what to do. You can learn from anybody what you consider wrong thinking versus correct thinking for you. You can learn from anybody different ways of behaving and thinking. 
and helping other people or being selfish even. Role models. But you don't want to just follow a role model blindly. You want to have some idea of what you're getting into based on your own history, prejudices, biases, defense mechanisms, old coping skills, etc. If you are working with someone, do the work. Don't just do what they tell you. Read some articles. Do some research. Look at the opposite point of view. Ask questions. I listen to a lot of podcasts about the dangers of meditation, and I totally understand what they're talking about. And there is a certain kind of meditation and a certain kind of mindfulness that is brain dead and is a form of dissociation and a form of spiritual bypassing. So I want to hear what people have to say about that in case someone asks me about it. And also I wanted to double check on the kind of meditation that I teach. Don't just learn about recipes and the best vacuum cleaner out there and the best color combinations for your bedroom. Yes, those are all fun and wonderful things, but don't just do that. Learn some things that will help the quality of your life to become better for you. I hope this helps. Hope to see you at Life Path Healings.